Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast. And I'm saying German football podcast because this is, of course, the reaction podcast to Germany's 1-1 draw against Spain. I'm Manuel Feit. He's Stefan Bienkowski. Stefan, we are literally recording this, what, 10 minutes after the final whistle. Yeah. Uh, I think we sort of, we're going back and forth. Should we do it tomorrow? Should we do it today? I think ultimately it's kind of good to do this when it's still all fresh in your head. Right, and a little bit mm. emotional. Um, I just spent the last 90 minutes pacing up and down my living room. You probably have had a little bit of a better experience than I did, being more neutral. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't have blood in the game, so um, I, I was kind of okay, um, more or less, you know. And I, I, I also have a bit of a soft spot for Spain, so mm. I did kind of think, well, do you know what? If they put the final nail in the coffin for this Germany side, then it's not the end of the world. Yeah, um, this. But yeah, <laughs> I feel like I kind of feel like the World Cup right now is like as a collective, or maybe look at this Germany team the same way that like Sarah Connor looked at the Terminator and thinking, "Why won't you die?" You know, like it's just kind of like <laughs> somehow better teams have already been knocked out of this competition, and somehow Germany are still in it. But we'll get into that through this podcast, I'm sure. Oh man, like what was the joke that Chris Williams made in our group chat? Is like they're going to lose this game, win their last game, and still get out of the group and win it all overall. He's a lot more optimistic than I am. Um, I my fear now is that Germany is going to ruin my holiday in Hawaii <laughs> <laughs> by not getting knocked out. By not getting knocked out, you know, I cursed at the moment I booked that trip, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, regardless, um, they are still alive. We have a ton to talk about. This match had so many storylines that we need to go through. And I think pros and cons, we're going to do that as well. Um, so let's just dive into it right after this break. This episode of the Gegenpressing podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back. And BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And is your continued source for all sports wagering information. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. That's it, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, um, Stefan, I think here's my number one take away from this game. Spain bring on a number nine. 
they take the lead. Germany bring on a number nine and they draw. You need a number nine. <laughs> it, it, the game has changed. The times of you having not being able to play with a number nine, you know what Spain used to do quite a bit. Those days, those days are over. You need a guy in a box who can just put it away. And this is my number one takeaway from this game. The two goals that were ultimately scored were the ultimate number nine goals. Yeah. It's 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 a really interesting one. It's almost like there's a kind of sea change uh, in football right now where mm. we've had so much time spent on like possession and very technical players. And now it just kind of feels like even the very best nations and even the best club teams, you know, if you, even, you want to open this up to like Manchester City and Liverpool, both signing huge number nines in the summer. We talk yeah. extensively on this podcast, podcast about Bayern Munich trying to be smart in the replacement of Robert Lewandowski and struggling. And on the national scale, you have France, who, despite having all the talent in the world and maybe being able to put out three teams that could challenge in the World Cup, they ultimately still rely on Olivier Giroud. And Spain uh, have got Alvaro Morata, who's now got seven goals in mm. nine games. And when he scored that goal in this game, I really did think, God, you know what? Germany would give... I think Hansi Flick would probably happily give up half his team um, just to have someone like Alvaro Morata and his team, but he didn't have to because he had a number nine in there uh, yeah. and he did the job for them eventually. I think I think this is such a great story. Um, credit to the commentator at the game. I didn't stick up the stat myself, but I think it's a great story. One year ago, Niklas Vilgruck scored the only goal for Werder Bremen in a second Bundesliga match against Holstein Kiel. Exactly to the day, one year ago. <laughs> and he comes on and terminates his way into, because this was like a muscling off the ball. It's it's such a classic goal, isn't it? Just like bulge the top of the net. Like You almost feel like the net was almost like hinged off its goalpost. That's how, how massive that strike was. And it was, it, it, it was, I almost felt like, okay, we've been waiting for this kind of goal since Miroslav Klose has retired. Mm. You know, someone to just be in the box and be cruel and just put the bloody thing away for, mm. my, for my language. But it was so absolutely necessary to have him there. And I, I think, too, you, I said in the, the bonus part last week, right, that I think you need to start with a number nine. Um, and... I wanted to see Mukuku there. Okay, well, Mukuku didn't come on, right? But instead, it was it was full group. And it, regardless, he got the job done. And he, I think it's I'm just so very happy for him as a person because he is a player who always had had a lot of potential. You think he tore his ACL twice, right? And then kind of like was kind of discarded a little bit by Werder Bremen initially, and then came back, and it was almost again discarded during that second division season that I just mentioned. And then they, they go up. No one really thinks about Werder Bremen being a good team. Mm. And he has essentially led Werder Bremen to a really good start in the Bundesliga campaign as well. And it's kind of almost like a resurrection of a career that started very promising and then seemed to just fizzle out like it does for so many guys. And, you know, there is this this picture of him after he scores with his, with his smile and his one tooth missing. He almost looks like a <laughs> hockey player. <laughs> But you know what? Germany for such a long time 
was dominated by people like him. And then we went to all these fancy footwork guys. Mm. Um, and it, I feel like we need him. This, yeah. is the, this, this is the type of player you need. No, absolutely. It, 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 an interesting thing as well is that it's almost like... Um, it, it was almost like an interesting moment in terms of like the comparisons to what had come before, as you talked about, not just in terms of like the players that had come before and the way the players mm. that Germany now produce, but like the way that Hansi Flick, Flick was approaching this game and, you know, following that first game uh, against Japan, there were so many comparisons to Yogi Love and I think a lot of German fans were saying, well, nothing's really changed here. We're still this kind of placid team that try to pass the ball about and we have six or seven chances, but because we don't have a striker on the pitch, we always miss them. Um, and, you know, that was kind of coming to bear in this game. That Jamal Musiala miss was one that stood out to me as thinking, you know, mm. God, you would have put your money, you would have put your house on Musiala scoring that goal for Bayern Munich. But it's the fact that Germany don't have a striker on the pitch to be in that position to score it. And it was just so telling that Hansi Flick almost, I mean, he'd obviously never say this in public, but it's almost like he decided, right, I'm not going to do what, you know, Yogi Love done in the past where he'd stick to his guns and just see the game out with his forwards and with his system. And he's like, I'm just going to throw this number nine on. And it couldn't have been more, you know, dramatic. And as if, like, it's not even as if, like, he just bundled the ball over the net with a header or it bumped off his shoulder or something. He quite literally took the ball from under Jamal Musiala's feet in almost the exact same position that Musiala missed from like 10 minutes earlier and fires it into the roof of the net. It's almost like this kind of like, you know, <laughs> like an act of God or something where he just it comes It was a number nine goal. That's what a number nine does. Yeah. A number nine takes the ball from another guy who he thinks doesn't score and is selfish and puts the bloody thing away. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I just thought that was quite a powerful moment because it was it was a quite, it was a physical act that differentiated Hansi Flick's yeah. Germany from those Germany. And it felt, like a, it, it felt like a very powerful moment for this German national team because obviously the nation's been crying out for Musiala, or not Musiala, sorry, for... Um, flick to play one of the strikers that he has in that team, um, and it, it it was just it it was just a great moment to see, and it was a great to see him score a great goal. It was great to see him get the recognition for being a fantastic striker, a fantastic mm. finisher of the ball. Like I said, not just some kind of bumbling f target man who they can fire the ball off of. It was a great finish in its own right. Yeah. So that was undoubtedly one of the positives, and you know. It, it it felt very cathartic, I think, probably for a lot of German football fans. Um, mm. But it, we, you know, we were kind of talking before the show. We should talk about some of the negatives as well, because it's very easy yeah. to come away from a game like that, where Germany finished the game in the ascendancy. You know, Spain look a little lost for uh, they're they're uh, lost for words or lost for ideas as to how to see the game out. And although Fulcrub coming on, Fulcrug sorry coming on and scoring that goal illustrates a point and it offers hope to you know Germany fans by saying finally got this number nine finally got someone who can score these chances this guy has to start up front in the rest of the tournament it also illustrate also underlines rather the problems that have been plaguing Germany leading up to the up to that point the most mm. obvious one on the night to me was just Thomas Muller in that yeah. number nine role and I, so I know I'm mid-rant here, so just bear with me for a moment, but okay. 
this was just so interesting to me that he decided to opt for Muller in that number nine position. I talked about this on Twitter during the game. I was saying, well, I love that you used the German word there, by the way. What Sorry was that? <laughs> opfer. <laughs> it was just, it's, it's just, here's the thing, right? Um, I could understand it if Germany had a head coach who had come from another club uh, and he'd never and he'd never even been in, in the national team himself. So he'd never actually worked with Thomas Muller before. So he's looked at it on paper and said, look, we don't have a goal scorer in this team. We don't have a talisman. Thomas Muller, you know, his his record for Germany is outstanding. He's only a couple of goals off, you know, he's not a couple of goals. He's, he's some way off Miroslav, Miroslav closer, but... In, in the historical context of the World Cup, he's one of the best players that's ever played in it in terms of scoring goals. So mm-hmm. you can understand why on paper, or if you were to ask like an AI computer to pick a Germany team, you can understand why he would stick Thomas Müller up front. But tactically, it just didn't make any sense. And mm. I thought he had a really poor game, all things considered. And um, I was kind of looking at some of like the kind of um, analytical stuff after the game and the, the great guys at 12 Football um, put out their pass maps and I retweeted this onto my timeline so you can find it on Twitter but if you look at that pass map and the way they do this I'm sure most of the listeners know how these work by now but basically the, 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 the thickness of the line between one player and another shows how often each player passed the ball to one another mm. and Thomas Muller doesn't have a single line going towards him and that basically denotes that he was extremely hard to get the ball to um, mm. and I just thought it was really telling that you know, once Flick changed that up and Fulkrug went up front there, it completely completely altered Germany's game. And while there's a great positive in that, in the sense that Germany now have a number nine, it also illustrates that maybe Thomas Muller in this team doesn't quite make sense anymore, at least the way things are going right now. Yeah, I mean, I said it in the last podcast, right? I would have dropped Muller uh, and started Mukuku instead. Uh, I... I probably be happy with full crook against Costa Rica too. I have to maybe add one thing. I felt kind of bad for Thomas Müller mm. um, because he was put in this position where he essentially had to chase the ball, chase the ball, chase the ball, right? Mm. He was, I, I, I don't have the number in front of me, um, but his mileage must have been insane mm. in this game. Because you can say a lot of things about him, but he definitely put in the, he definitely put in the work. But unfortunately, that's not what suits him. He is a number 10. He's essentially what Musiala is now, um, right? Mm-hmm. He's the guy who gives you that creative moment. And um, at Bayern Munich, his greatest strength was to be behind Robert Lewandowski. When he was most effective for Germany in 2010 and 2014, he was behind Miroslav Klose. That's his role. He is a guy who plays off an actual striker. Not someone who chases the ball all the time. And he will do it because it's Thomas Müller. You know, you tell him to do something on the field. He He's a Bayern Munich player. He is a soldier. He is loyal. Um, he is willing to sacrifice himself, or as he said in German, opfer himself for, for the greater good. But that doesn't do anyone any good. I think that is the, the main main takeaway I have from this. It's It doesn't help him. It doesn't help the German national team. And it ultimately doesn't help Hansi Flick either, right? Mm. Because like, I thought two things really changed when when they made the changes to bring on Phil Krug and Leroy Sané. And I think we need to spend a bit of time on him as well because he was incredible. I think he changed the complexion of this team completely. 
And, and it would have probably actually been really good in the Miller role in the first half if he had been 100% fit. But like him coming on um, and Phil Cook being on, all of a sudden, Jamal Musiala, who I thought was hacked to pieces uh, by Spain. And I, there was a couple <laughs> moments where I thought like, he was absolutely destroyed out there. Mm. You know, we're talking about protecting players and we were talking about a lot of, about Neymar, but... There was Busquets was the only player to get a yellow card off of a Musiala foul, the only one. Mm-hmm. Gavi took him down. Uh, Busquets took him down again. I, this countless times. I felt bad for him, but he handled it really well. But Musiala, all of a sudden, when Sané and Fulcuk were on, you had the sense that there was actually someone he could play the ball to, right? Mm-hmm. There was an outlet for him, and uh, he had that moment. Just before Phil Cook actually made it 1-1, remember when he came down the sidelines and he slalomed his way through and he plays an incredible pass to the middle and Phil Cook just about misses it. Um, it comes off his uh, lower abdomen, to be polite about it, and goes out. <laughs> but all of a sudden there was someone there for Musiala to play the ball to mm. and the attack changed completely. I still think that, you know, and I, I, I think that's maybe the next pro here of this game mm. that Musiala had an incredible game and never really crumbled by the, the tons of pressure that was put on him to be the creative guy and also obviously being the target and I, I don't blame Spain for doing this you know the best players get tackled that's how this game is um, every other world-class player ask Messi ask Neymar the same mm. thing will happen to them right um, and I think he handled that really well. And I think that there was a lot of maturity there. And I think he will learn from this game, a ton from this game. And then, you know, maybe in the next game, and Costa Rica is not going to be easier. They're not going to back off him either. Mm. Um, you know, I, I live in the CONCACAF region. I see them play a lot. They're, they're a tough bunch. And they're going to do everything in their power to make it hard for him. And I think he, this was a good lesson for him today. And I think he handled it really well. Yeah, I thought Musiala was probably Germany's best player, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, yeah. Not only in terms of his technical ability and remarkable ability to hold the ball up, uh, which is just such an underrated skill. Um, mm. If you think about it, we always think of Musiala as this player who darts past players. You know, he finds space, he scores goals and these little cracks in defences. But to be playing with your back to goal and to take these remarkable touches that keeps the ball away from a central defender, who with every right should be able to go through the back of you, just considering the yeah. size differences, uh, I was routinely impressed with how he managed to do that. He held the ball up far better than Thomas Muller, for example. Um, mm. And I think the other thing that was also incredibly impressive, and it just goes to show just what kind of a talent he is, is that he... As the game wore on and after after Spain scored, he only seemed to become more and more determined to yeah. just to, to, to fix things, you know. And I kind of tweeted out that LeBron James meme <laughs> just before Germany pulled it back, and that's kind of how I felt about the game. It felt as if Musiala was trying to drag Germany kicking and screaming back into this match. And I thought it was quite telling that when Leroy Sané came on, who, as you said, you know, I thought was tremendous, mm. uh, he immediately went, to Jamal Musiala, um, you know, and, and he's like, right, the only way we're going to get any, anything from this is if I link up with Musiala and, yeah. you know, we, we we provide the kind of pace that just kind of really terrified that Spanish defence, to be honest. We always knew that Spanish defence was a weak spot and, mm. you know, Spain's entire game plan is to basically just keep the ball so that teams can't really hit that, hit that defence, but 
I thought Sandy was excellent when he came on. I thought Musiala was a played a great kind of foil for him in in that regard. And and to kind of <laughs> turn this around a little bit and to kind of play another negative, not on purpose. I'm not trying to be a downer here, but I think it's well, quite. It's te- got a pros and cons podcast, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's just quite telling how much better Sani was in that role than someone like Serge Gnabry. You know, yeah. I feel in these first two games we've been kind of waiting for Gnabry to do something. And I've said prior to the tournament that I kind of earmarked him as one of the players who I think really, considering his success at Bayern Munich, really should be doing a lot more for the German national team. Um, he should really be standing up and being a talisman, being a kind of focal point in that attack. Mm-hmm. But he was completely outshone by Musiala tonight. And I thought in the limited game time that Sani had when he came on, and it was only 20 minutes or so, I thought Sani proved in those 20 minutes exactly why he has to start when fit over Gnabry, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, because he's just far more direct. He can take a player on. He can link up really well with Musiala and other players. Um, and it, 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 it just goes. I, th- I think it's just you know. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to accentuate negatives here by any means. I'm just trying to point out that going forward, I think Flick will probably look at that and say, well, if everyone's fit, then I'm probably dropping Gnabry and I'm maybe dropping Thomas Muller from his team, having already dropped Kai Havertz, which is quite interesting for like one of the you know so-called big teams in European football or the world football. Sorry, one of the biggest European nations. After two games, there's a good chance that his three go-to forward players might end up on the bench for game three. Yeah, I mean, Havertz needs to go to a different club. We've been over that. (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about Havertz for a second? Have you just played no part in this game? Do you not think that's really, really interesting? I think it's really interesting, but it's also also consequential. Hmm. I mean, he he didn't play, he didn't, he didn't offer anything for Germany in the first match. And the problem is, the it's so hard. I mean, it's really difficult for him, right? He's not a number nine. He's kind of like a number 10, sort of. Hmm. But that role in eternity is now occupied by Musiala, right? Hmm. Like, you think anyone is ever going to muscle off Musiala for that role for the next 10 years? I don't think so. So it's going to get even harder when Florian Witz comes back. Because... <laughs> You actually have to drop an additional guys once Wirtz and Musiada are going to carry this attack for the next 10 years, right? We can both agree on that. Mm-hmm. So where do you put Havertz then? Where yeah. do you put him? It's, right. it's, it's, um, it's a great point. It's something that you and I were talking with Chris before game. And, you know, we're talking about how him and Timo Werner really mugged up their careers by that move to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really think if you... Considering where Havertz was before he moved to Chelsea and the fact that he probably had just about every top club in, in Europe interest in signing them. Can you imagine how different things would be? It would be a great what-if scenario for European football history that had Havertz opted for a move to another club like Liverpool or Manchester City or you know Real Madrid yeah. or, or Bayern Munich. Or Bayern. Yeah, yeah, Bayern's probably the big one there. Um, you know, so he's kind of got himself in this kind of hole um, which he's maybe, he's going to have to pull himself out of one way or another but I just think it's really telling that Germany pull things back. Flick starts with him on the bench, and that's him simply saying he didn't offer enough in the first game. Uh, and then, you know, mm. when when the shit hits the fan, if you'll excuse my French, 
he, he turns to the bench and says, right, full Krug, on you go, do something for me. Not yeah. not the former, you know, generational talent that was once considered the most promising player in Germany. Yeah. I'm going to pick this journeyman. I keep calling him a journeyman. It's not really the right term because he's spent most of his career at Werder Bremen, but second division player up until very recently. Um, I'm going to turn to him and, and see if he can do something, which I just find that really fascinating in terms of the kind of how things develop going forward. Yeah, but like the team that wins the World Cup ultimately, and I'm not suggesting by any means that Germany will win the World Cup, but like the team that does well at the World Cup is always the one that uses players that are currently in form. And Phil Cook has been scoring in the Bundesliga. He's the second best scorer in that league after Nkunku. Mm. So you obviously you're going to the guy that has the confidence at that very moment to put a a ball like that away. Like for him, for Fulkrug, this is no difference than in the 89th minute Werder Bremen facing, I don't know, some other team in the relegation battle. And all he has to do, that for that, for him in this moment, in the form that he is in, it's just a ball that he has to put away. Hmm. And with Kai Havertz, that ball falls to him in that situation. You probably, he probably thinks about five different solutions and ultimately puts it across the, over the crossbar, right? Hmm. And for you to be successful at the World Cup, you need to trust the guy that, is currently in the best form, not the one that is the most talented. Yeah, and that's so. that's how it works. And I think for Harvard, Harvard situation is such an interesting one too because I, I fully agree with you. You know, when he made that move to Chelsea, I thought that was actually quite odd because hmm. it kind of reminds he reminds me. There's two players that kind of stick out to me in terms of comparison to Kai Havertz and the way that they are kind of lost in this national team and and, and their respective club careers, while there, also why there is still hope that he can ultimately turn it around. Uh, so bear with me here. Um, Tony Kroos is one, right? Totally different player than Tony Kroos. So I don't mean in terms of comparison of types of player here. So I'm going to get that with my second example. But Tony Kroos for the longest time had no role in this national team. Mm. Um, remember when Joachim Löw put him in like left midfield to uh, who was the Italian playmaker Perlo to man mark Perlo in 2012 remember yeah. that mm. the, because like there was no role for Tony Kroos like other guys had to retire first for him to actually get into the team and you know maybe for Kai Havertz that's he needs to still kind of discover who he is as a player and find that perfect role for him and sometimes that takes a little bit of time and Tony Gross is a great example where it did take a bit of time and he did become ultimately a world-class player and a World Cup winner, right? And mm. multiple Champions League winner of Real Madrid. You need to be sometimes a bit patient with him. The other guy is Stefan Effenberg. Mm. Stefan Effenberg went abroad, like went from Gladbach to Bayern and then went to uh, went to a, went abroad to Fiorentina and didn't really work out for him there. Then he went back to Gladbach and became a really big player at the club level. Then also for Bayern München, where he won the Champions League, right? Mm. But there was never a role for him in the national team. In fact, he retired early. Uh, probably didn't help that he showed the middle finger to the Germany fans in 1994. But <laughs> <laughs> my, my ultimate point is sometimes it's really hard to replicate for players what they do at the national team level, right? Because mm. that role is simply not available to them. Um, and... Kai Havertz is an interesting one. I think he has to look at his club career and knowing Flick, that conversation has been had, right? Mm. That sometimes, I don't know how you manufacture this. Um, I mean, Timo Werner went back to Leipzig and I think that was ultimately a good idea. I'm not suggesting Kai Havertz is going back to Leverkusen because they don't have the money. But maybe for Kai Havertz to go 
somewhere like Italy or Spain or maybe back to Germany to one of the bigger clubs there, that could be ultimately a really good thing for him. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing... The thing that kind of, I mean, I don't want to make this podcast about, you know, <laughs> the Kai Havertz <laughs> show and what he should do for his career, but the only thing I'd really say is that I think um, I th- when I speak to Chelsea fans, there's a, there are a lot of Chelsea fans who still think he's a great player and he can still do something for them, you know, so yeah. it's not even as, a, it's not really like the Timo Werner situation where I, I find myself routinely trying to defend him to Chelsea fans on Twitter or whatever else. It was it's quite the opposite with Havertz. They appreciate he's a great player, he's got a lot of potential and he and he shows that with moments of brilliance for Chelsea. He just mm. hasn't managed to click for them just yet. So I'd be surprised if the club were willing to let him go. But I completely I think the, the comparisons you make are fantastic. I what, another one is maybe Leroy Sani himself, you know? Yeah. Who on perhaps a little differently because Sani was mostly injured and more than anything else. But it just didn't work out for him at Manchester City for one reason or another, and he's now slowly but surely beginning to show that potential at Bayern, and to do that, he had to move back to Germany to a club that were going to sign him on specific conditions, and he's you know he's going to have to get himself far more disciplined mm-hmm. on and off the field, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying that Havertz maybe has those issues, but I think he may be maybe a, situa- maybe a move like that, something that suits him far better. Um, yeah. But anyway, it, that that's that's a long story. That's 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 something we can discuss another time. Is there any, is there anything else from this performance that you think we should pick up on? There's one or two other things I want to maybe talk about. But I'll let you jump defense. in first. Yeah, defense. I thought the defense was really good, actually. Um, and I mean, both goalkeepers played with fire. <laughs> um, I actually thought it was quite interesting that this was probably the most ball-playing goalkeepers in the tournament we've seen and the only time chances did materialize was when the two goalkeepers played with fire but I guess that's what happens when both attacking lines are really high um, I want to give a huge compliment to Nico Schlotterbeck Nico Schlotterbeck was obviously dropped for this game mm. he comes on in the second half late and makes a world-class tackle against, I think it was Morata who comes into the box, right? Mm. To essentially preserve the 1-1 draw. That takes, I think that is one of those things when a young defender who hadn't had a great start in his national team career comes in and says, I have to really get myself together here and does it. Mm. I like to see that. I thought it was immense. And I think it's it's going to probably benefit him going forward. But I actually thought Rüdiger was really good. You know, like obviously he didn't time his run well to, to give Germany the lead, but it has, he carries that defense. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I thought Süle didn't stand out, which was positive. Hmm. <laughs> you know, center backs, that's usually a good thing, right? Well, so yeah. that's yeah, maybe he, a positive. He did have that problem for the goal. I do think he deserves some of the blame yeah. for that goal. Um, yeah. And... I, I actually agree with you. I thought the defence had some good games. I thought, um, I, I you know, I, I thought Rudiger had a great game, as you said. Manuel Neuer, great game as well. Another huge save in that match as well. That first one, holy I think crap. He, I think he's already wow. made like three world-class saves in the first two games, which yeah. says a lot about Germany right now, but also that he's still on top of his game. And I'll be the first to say that I was quite critical of him this season. Uh, I wasn't sure if he should start um, for Germany this World Cup, but there you go. Um, it wasn't the first time I was wrong and it certainly won't be the last one either uh, but mm. I think other positives I think you know I just 
still find people kind of going back and forth in this in terms of Twitter, but I think David Realm's been having a really good tournament so far. Uh, you know, yeah, I found a criticism odd too. You know, everyone's been talking about whether Rob, Rob, why Robin Gosens wasn't picked. Um, and you know, mm. whether maybe Gunter should be starting some games. And I just feel like Rom hasn't really put a foot wrong for the most part. Um, okay, so oh, some of his have cr- people not watched Robin Gosens at Inter Milan this year? <laughs> Is that the issue? Do people not watch Serie A? Like, I don't watch a lot of Serie A, but I've seen enough to know that he's not been good this year. Yeah. I, it's it, it's just it's just a very odd one. I thought he's been absolutely fine, and considering the kind of bomb scares throughout that team, I think he's been one of the more def- dependable players. Yeah. Um, again, Rudiger's great. The, the, but the, the big issue, which is still an issue, and I think it's still going to cause Germany huge problems, uh, whether their tournament comes to an end against Costa Rica or in the latter stages, is, is that right-back position. Um, mm. And, you know, I was kind of chatting away to Kevin Hatchard about this during the game, and I just don't understand why Baku or Henriks aren't in the squad, because it just strikes me as really weird that, you know, Klosterman gets brought on in the second half. Um, a player who we're led to believe um, wasn't entirely fully fit, which is understandable because he's hardly played at all this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's... It, I'm just struggling to understand why he's in this team because if he was brought... If, if, if Hansi Flick said, I need a right back in this team, then he could have went for Henriks, who's been playing for he's been playing kind of right wing back, right mid for Leipzig for much of the season. So mm. he could have played right back at all. Baku, I know I know Wolfsburg Wolfsburg didn't have a good start to the season, but he's still in that team as a right back, right wing back, as they have been getting better. And he's shown for Germany in the past that he can do a job there. Mm. Um or even Jonas Hoffman as some sort of right wing back and just switch to a back three and play Hoffman and uh, you know, David Raum as wing-backs. I don't understand yeah. why none of these options are better than playing Sula and Kerr there when both of them have now shown in these two games that they just cannot do that job. Um, you know, and it's it, it, it just seems like a really weird move from Hansi Flick, who we know from his time at Germany is a very tactically astute head coach. It seems weird to me that he's willing to kind of limit his team so much um, to play, you know, it's almost like he's trying to. Um, it's, 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 he's, 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 he's not willing to make the risk of playing an attacking fullback in that position over, you know, just sticking a central defender in there and hoping that it'll work because it hasn't worked at all. I think it's probably played a large part in why Serge Gnabry's had a very poor tournament to, to get to, to date because uh, he just hasn't had any service to play off of uh, from his fullback. Um, mm. And it and it and it strike and it still strikes me as like the fundamental. I know everyone keeps going on about need for a striker, uh, mm. and you know, there's these huge discussions in the German media and across the international media about how Germany don't have a number nine anymore and how they don't produce number nines, blah blah blah. But to me, the bigger issue is that Germany also don't keep any clean sheets. And despite Hansi Flick's best efforts to play just about anyone there, nothing has worked. And I think. I think that's going to be the bigger issue as this tournament goes on. And it'll be either an issue that Costa Rica take advantage of or a better team later in the competition. 
Yeah, uh, right backs is a difficult one. I know right now, you remember how left backs used to be like the hot commodity and then everyone started producing left backs and now actually no one can even sell a left back to save their lives. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, like talking to agents about it. You both work at Transfermarkt, so we do this quite a bit, but like apparently left backs, the market is like super cold and uh, the market for right backs. I mean, Celtic just signed uh, Alistair Johnson, right? For mm. lots of money from the MLS because he's a right back. And like they're paying lots of money for a guy who's never played in Europe because the position is such high demand. Um, so Germany is not the only one mm. um, looking for right backs. Mm. Everyone is kind of is. But you make an interesting point there with the, the close to month situation. I just sort of wonder, I wonder two things here. Germany had a similar issue in 2014. Um, and ultimately, Philipp Lahm had to, you know, um, had to go back to playing. I think it was his left back and ultimately that he ended up playing or right back. You know, he had to play one of the wing back positions and then Hoover has filled in as right back. I think that's how it worked. Um, and you almost, I personally don't want to see it, but you almost wonder if Kimmich ultimately will be moved to the right back. Yeah. Uh, you know, because like, but then, it, would, it would solve the dilemma in central midfield as well. But... It won't, and I'll tell you why. And this is what I brought up when Flick mentioned when he announced his squad for the tournament. They don't have a backup central midfielder in that squad. And I talk, mm-hmm. I mentioned this at the time. I said if Kimmich or Goretzka or or um or Gundogan get injured in this tournament, there isn't a single number six or hold a midfielder in that squad that can play that position. And I was saying, why the hell is Julian Brandt in this team when you could have had someone like Max Arnold in there? And this is exactly yeah. the situation I was ex- I was worried about. I mean, obviously, it's it's not an injury to one of these players, but if Kimmich has to play right back, and that means um, Hansi Flick no longer has that front th- that midfield trio, who, by the way, I thought had a great game. And you know, talking about uh, if I'm if I'm talking about Müller being singled out in those pass maps, if you look at the Spain's pass maps, Gavi got no service whatsoever in that game, and Pedri was also mm. struggling for game time or for for ball possession as well so that kind of game plan of Gundogan Goretzka and Kimmich worked really well in the centre of the pitch and if you're Hansi Flick you're thinking well that's one of my yeah. strengths I don't want to break that up but I know it's tricky isn't it It's I, I agree with you I don't want I, I want to clarify this I don't want Kimmich at right back but I could see them do that in an emergency situation but it's such a hard position right now isn't it to just like find the right guy yeah, you almost just want to have a guy that can hold the line there. But they, but they did. They could have played someone there. They could have, are you telling me Baku or Henrik's couldn't have played right back tonight? That's the thing. Yeah, they probably could have. They probably would have offered more pace. And you're right. Maybe that would have helped Serge Gnabry. I mean, you, you saw you saw the difference on the left side, right? When Sani comes on and he links up with Raum. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, it's... And even or even or even Hoffman, you know, as I know, I know Hoffman's mm. not great as a fullback, but as a wingback, he can't be bad, you know. And so, yeah. I think my only frustration with this is that it's a it's a problem that Flick has just invented for himself. He mm. intentionally went out of his way not to bring any kind of full, fully fit or you know natural right backs into that side, and it's continuing to cost Germany points in this competition. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about me Flick as the final point because I think that was both pros and cons. I think he got the Müller totally wrong at the start. Um, although maybe Müller tired that backline enough for them to be sleepy when Phil Krug finally did come on. 
<laughs> his substitutions were bang on. Mm. I thought his substitute, like he completely messed it up against Japan. Mm. I think Gundogan coming off when Germany was still having the lead probably cost Germany the win mm. against Japan because he held that line so well. Um, but he did make the right decisions um, against Spain. Bringing on Phil Group in that situation was very smart. I mean, he didn't have Sunny in the first game. Um, but the fact that he waited uh, enough for Sane to actually have an impact because we don't know how fit he is. I assume he will be fit by Thursday and we're going to talk about the Thursday game in our next part, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But Sane and Fulguk made a huge impact and I think as much as he got the substitutions wrong in the previous game, I think he got him bang on in this one, right? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, you could have very easily thrown Havertz on in that in that match, um, mm. and nothing would have come of it. So he certainly deserves credit for that, and he certainly isn't above changing his system and his tactics and his player, you know, his his, his player selections in tournament, um, which is something I think Yogi Love often got criticised for. He almost felt yeah. very stuck in his ways. Uh, so Hansi Flick is definitely a far more reactive head coach, and like, like I said when we talked about the preview to this competition, I I still feel like the squad was always one full of compromises, and it was one that yeah. was, and it was one that I think that if it is going to achieve anything like um, what Germany fans would consider a successful tournament, I still think that's only going to really be possible if Hansi Flick can kind of pull off some miracles in terms of his tactics and his system and his player position is player selection so I think that's one big positive from Germany to take from this game is that Flick's a mm. very kind of malleable head coach and he's not above changing things um, so they're still and they're still in the competition so he, they still have time yeah. to kind of work on that I here I want to end on a really really positive note um, and grazie amigo it's Costa Rico for, for keeping this team alive <laughs> Because <laughs> I actually thought the, the performance against Spain was a really good one today. Mm. You know, on as a separate game, not in the context of this tournament. Um, let's say they had won the first game against Japan and they would have come up with a performance like today. Mm. I think we'd be all standing there applauding and saying, well, they have four points and they played well twice. Mm. Right. So if you take just this game out of context, I think it was a very good performance. Yeah. Um, when you take everything as a whole, you know, you, you ignore the Japan result completely. That was actually a really good performance. And actually a game maybe that they should have won in the end. Um, they didn't because, you know, the ball didn't go in when Sani was through. And Unai Simon uh, proved that he is an incredible goalkeeper. Um, showed why De, De, De Gea is rightfully not in the squad. Um, but I think as a standalone performance, this was a really good game. And... If they do get the job done against Costa Rica and they pull off another performance, I think they showed today that they can go toe-to-toe with the biggest sides uh, in the world, right? They might not win it, but they can go toe-to-toe with it. And if that is the ultimate takeaway from this tournament, I think that's something that Flick can work with. Um, I think ultimately he still needs to get out of this group, Mm. which means um, Spain have to, I think, get a draw against Japan, right? And Germany needs to just score a bunch of goals against Costa Rica. No, I um, think I think if I think if Japan get a draw, then Germany. Oh no, actually no. Oh it, no, no. Per- then it goes to goal differential. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so Germany will just have to. This is Germany will have to just big, win big against Costa Rica, and 
we assume that's enough. Um, I mean, again, we're going to preview that game later on this week, so stay tuned. But I think that is my positive takeaway from this game. They played well. Um, they played much better than they have against Japan. And with a little luck, they should have probably won this game. Yeah, I think that's a good one to end on. And I completely agree mm-hmm. with you for the most part there, actually. I think... Um, yeah, I think I think it. I think Flick maybe uh, is more comfortable setting his teams up against teams of equal quality yeah. or maybe better quality because the, you know, his team can be more reactive. We saw Germany do a really good job of break Spain down, limit the their key players from getting the ball, uh, and really frustrate Spain for the most part. Um, and actually, it led to you know. Got to remember that Spain also scored from a substitute coming on and scoring, so their their mm. initial set uh, tactics didn't work either. Whether or not Spain were a hundred percent into this game or not remains to be seen. I think if I was a Spain football fan right now, I'd be furious that they've kind of let Germany back into this tournament, which is, you know, something that could really end up biting them in the ass. Costing you later. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, so their lack of kind of a bloodthirsty approach there might end up being a problem down the line, but. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It suggests that if if Germany get out of this group and they come up against a Spain or a France or an England or whatever, mm. um, you know, they do have the tools to at least frustrate them to the point of making it equal level. Mm. This is the big positive. Um, I'm going to end it on this. There's always the show is brought to you by Bet Online. Germany is still alive somehow. We saw an incredible World Cup game today. Um, I think that is. A big takeaway as well and we'll be back with the preview part for subscribers um, later this week and then obviously at the end of the week with our transfer show that we do every week i think that's about it right stefan anything final that you want to add nope sounds good all right until next time auf wiedersehen Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.